Women on Screen Out Loud is proudly supported by Deluxe Toronto. Deluxe is the leading post-production and visual effects provider to the world's top content creators. This episode is proudly presented by the Directors Guild of Canada in Ontario. DGC Ontario. Creativity lives here. Welcome to Women On Screen Out Loud, giving a platform to women in the film industry who challenge, motivate, and inspire on all sides of the camera. We are your hosts, Lara Jean Korostecki and Jennifer Pogue. We don't know about you, but there's few people that we've met in our lives who choose a career that consists of willingly setting themselves on fire, getting hit by cars at full speed, or jumping off high rises. Stunt coordinator and performer Alicia Turner gives us insight into the life and mentality of a stunt performer. In her essay, she highlights what it is like for a woman in a male-dominated profession, what it takes to confront and overcome the natural state of fear, and her passion for pushing her own boundaries in order to embrace the spectacular vocation. When I tell people what I do for a living, I get a barrage of questions that generally circulate around celebrities I've met or movies I've been in. Then, I inevitably get asked, what's the craziest stunt you've ever done? Well, that depends. I ran in six-inch heels for 12 hours once shooting a chase scene. To me, that's crazy. The scariest stunt is a different story. Getting hit by cars is rather unsettling. I've done full-body burns with a supplemental air source that only permitted me sips of air through a slim tube attached to a two-minute air tank strapped to the inside of my leg. That sequence definitely had me digging down for my happy place. On another occasion, I ran out of air in an underwater fight sequence where I was heavily weighted to the bottom of the tank in an enclosed, submerged subway tunnel with hard-to-reach underwater exits. By that point in my career, I think my adrenal glands had given up on me entirely. As a rule, if you want to be a stunt performer, here are some housekeeping items. You will get injured, you can't love yourself too much, and, at times, it will be super-duper frightening. It's just part of the job description. Considering where I ended up in life, it's ironic that, early on, I was pretty much scared of everything. I was scared of the dark, scared of sharks in the lake at my cottage. I was terrified that every toilet would overflow when I flushed it. I even remember overanalyzing the process of my own breathing and being scared it might instantaneously fail me. Okay, so I was scared and neurotic. But somehow, that didn't stop me from taking on competitive sports. Essentially, I started training to be a stunt performer when I was five. It's called gymnastics. Little did I know at that time that tucked away in my DNA somewhere was the eventual height of five foot eight, not a gymnast height. So at the age of 12, I outgrew gymnastics and hopped right into the next available competitive, non-scary sport, springboard and platform diving. Diving for me was pivotal in learning to deal with fear. I did not realize at the time this would be integral in my career choice. The first year of diving was overwhelming. I now had to cope with the fear of heights, the fear of hitting the diving board, the fear of landing flat, the fear of dives I had yet to attempt. It was paralyzing. And at the ripe old age of 13, I felt like it was affecting my happiness. The paradigm shift happened one afternoon in eighth grade. I was in my classroom, anxiety-ridden once again over the upcoming platform practice where I had to learn a new dive. 
I realized that I had stressed out all day, expended loads of energy worrying, was totally distracted from learning, then had to go to training, and no matter what I felt, I would have to attempt this new dive. So, as a juxtaposition, I tried to be deliberately ignorant of what lay in wait for me. I literally did not allow myself to even think about new dives. Zero stress, I told myself. Just be a student, hang with my friends, listen in class, then wham! I'm at diving practice and facing the exact same outcome, but now with a way fresher frame of mind and a lot more energy. This system totally worked for me. To add to this, I decided to adopt a three-count approach to everything that scared me in life. When you're learning a new dive, the coach screams, Ready! One, two, three, go! As innocuous as this sounds to a non-diver, this count was the absolute law in my world. When you heard the word go, you went, no matter what. With these two systems in place, I felt liberated. I could do anything. I became an athletic guinea pig, someone who would volunteer to try scary stuff first, and I was pretty proud of this title. This approach springboarded me into a variety of adventures as well as misadventures, By my early 20s, I was jumping off 90-foot platforms into tiny pools, setting myself on fire every day for not enough money, and at one juncture, a failed attempt at a new trick landed me in a dentist chair in rural China for some truly terrifying medieval dentistry. In case you're wondering how to conquer fear the dentist, I can't help you. Despite my dentophobia, I did manage to land my dream career, but not before a pretty elaborate detour. I had returned to Montreal after working on a live show in mainland China. Like most aspiring to be in film, I waitressed for two years while trying to figure out how to navigate the murky waters of the stunt industry. I finally landed my first stunt job. Well, almost landed. As the offer ended up being retracted at the last minute because, apparently, sleeping with the stunt coordinator was also a part of my deal memo. Hmm. This definitely fell outside of my training and planning. I remember feeling both horrified and fascinated that I was actually living an atypical Hollywood casting couch experience. The one stunt coordinator that had decided to give me an opportunity certainly did not have the same intentions as I did. Was this my one shot at stunts? Would word of this get around? Would I be blacklisted because I said no? The fear and certainty I had to deal with at that point, well, I had no idea how to deal with it. As heroic as I would like to pretend I was, that experience was a deal-breaker. I had focused on the specifics of stunts for so long and had been smacked in the face by the political side. I was not okay with this. My solution was to sell everything and move to Maui to surf. Fortunately, the film industry had other plans for me that did not include living in the Aloha State. A few weeks before I was slated to leave, I was contacted by a stunt coordinator in Toronto who wanted to meet me to potentially stunt double on his TV show. I was very, very cautiously optimistic. Subsequently, I was pleased to discover that there were well-intentioned stunt coordinators out there who believed in professionalism, integrity, and who actually wanted me for my skills. I just got unlucky on my first go. So instead of moving to Maui, I moved to Toronto. My first day on set, I was dressed in super tight jeans, not enough shirt, wearing someone else's blonde hair, and I was preparing to scale a wall like a galloping monkey with the help of a wire system. True story. I heard the director yell, rolling, three, two, one, action. Wow, did that ever sound familiar. I felt so elated and fortunate to have been hired for that single episode. 
I returned to my waitressing job and figured I won't get that lucky twice. Not two days later, I got another call from Toronto. We need you for the next episode. Can you come back? It did not take long until the official move to Toronto happened. You can really only drive along the 401 from Montreal to Toronto so many times before you start questioning your sanity. This move was an excellent choice. I was now local and fully available. I completed season one as the lead stunt double and went on to perform in season two and season three. Similar to my experience in my diving career, I eventually became known as the performer to call for the more frightening, elaborate, and difficult stunts. I worked, and I learned. I am now a stunt coordinator and a bit of a mentor to some amazing up-and-coming stunt performers. The women I work with are some of the most level-headed, rock-solid ladies I have ever met. Yet, somehow, on occasion, they still deal with the same challenges I dealt with in the early 2000s. As much as things change, why does it feel like they don't really change? The stunt industry may likely always be male-dominated. I realize I cannot change people. Or perhaps more accurately, I cannot change the type of personalities that are attracted to the stunt industry. Having said that, there are absolutely a pile of kind, genuine, and respectful stuntmen in our community. So I have to fight the urge to paint them all with the same industrial-sized spray can on the occasion icky stories surface. The upside of being a stunt coordinator is that I am now a gatekeeper. In this role, I get to plan, I get to be inclusive, and I get to hire people based on their skill levels with absolutely no ulterior motive. I love sharing my experience and wisdom, even if that wisdom is as classy as standing on a high fall platform, screaming in someone's ear, ready, one, two, three, go. Coming up, stunt coordinator Alicia Turner speaks further on drive, fear, and advice for the next generation curious to embark on this exciting vocation. All right. I'm Lara Jean Korstecki. I'm here with Alicia Turner at Deluxe Toronto. Thank you for coming in today. Uh, first off, you're very impressive. That's we hilarious. were really excited <laughs> to have a stunt coordinator in, and we're so excited to have you here because you just, Jen and I were saying, and to the rest of the team at Women on Screen, it's like you don't talk to stunt performers that often, and you do always ask them the, the same questions, which is like, what's the craziest stunt you've ever done, or, which, of course, you answered in the essay, which is wonderful. Your essay in general is about overcoming fear in our eyes and creating a system for confronting challenges. And so we're curious, when was that moment exactly, if you can speak to it, that you transitioned from extreme sports and athleticism to specifically pursuing a career in stunts? I could, I would say that my entire life, although I was going to include it in this essay, but it just kind of didn't fit, like not everything can fit. Uh, I did have a drive at the time what I thought was to be an actress. Mm. And I did join musical theater for a small amount of time. So you danced too. I, I did. Now it would be it would be terrifying me <laughs> dancing, but that's besides the point. Uh, what was interesting is what I, I can't sing. So imagine me in musical theater. It, it was, again, terrifying. <laughs> but what I loved was dancing and doing the acrobatics on the stage. And that's all I wanted to do. And I didn't even realize at that age, I think I might have been... 12 or 13, and it was a weekend musical theater group. I didn't realize that 
stunts were actually a career. Mm. It just hadn't dawned on me. But the whole procedure that I followed in life unknowingly lined me up for the exact career that I I definitely wanted when I discovered it existed, if that mm. makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. Was there any role models at the beginning? Because as you said, you didn't know that a career existed. So were there any people that you got to know? Like, h- how did you discover that it was a career that existed then? Well, I actually, I mean, of course, as I grew up, I watched movies and realized what stunt doubles were. But but L.A. is far away and requires... I mean, as an adult, you you understand it requires a visa. But as a child, it just seems like this far-off place that you'll never land. And in doing shows in China, I did a lot of stunt and high-diving shows, which was probably the transitional point. I was in I went to the U- University of Arkansas. I had a, a, a scholarship in springboard and platform diving. So I went to school essentially for free in the U.S. for four years. And I actually got a degree in journalism. So... Uh- uh, so any why you can write. <laughs> <laughs> please don't judge. It's been a while. Um, but when I was finished springboard and platform diving, if I wasn't getting a job with Nat Geo to travel and write about, you know, mountain gorillas, I was not interested in doing journalism. So I was pretty specific about what I wanted. But then I, and so that definitely became something I was not hundred percent on. And and I and and my whole self was kind of always you know, doing crazy things and, hey, little Alicia, try it, you know? Mm. And then my coach uh, got me a job doing this show in a in a little town called Santa Claus, Indiana. There's a town called Santa Claus? Santa Claus, Indiana. I lived there for the summer. And it had more tornadoes than I've ever seen in my life. Oh. It, it was it was pretty spectacular little place. It was odd. Big lineup at the funnel, the funnel kickstand. It's just, <laughs> anyway, again, uh, I'm off topic. No, no. Um, and so I started there and I went to the first day on the show and there was a bunch of really, not the best divers. I was definitely a better diver than them, but they did these, they did this high dive that they would climb up this triangular ladder and then they would jump off it, do uh, like a certain dive, let's say a, a, a gainer double. And then they would land in this pool that was, 20 feet across. Oh, yeah. So my first day, I remember sitting there watching going, these guys are certifiably mental. And then by the first week, I was like, should I try the 50 foot? <laughs> and then the second week, I was like, how 70? And then by the, I think the third week, I was in the show doing the high dive um, at the end of the show. And then it kind of went from there. You know, not a lot of female high divers in the world. Mm. So they said to me, hey, do you want to work in Taiwan for the rest of the year? And I said, absolutely. And then you know, from there, I ended up working on a stunt show. There's a lot of Americans from L.A. that came in. And then I one of my, I got a job for one of my buddies who is from Montreal that I grew up with. And he said, you know, they're shooting movies in Canada now. Mm. And it was like that moment where I'm like, they are? I'm going home. <laughs> <laughs> that's where I'm going. So that's kind of. Great trajectory of like just one thing leading to the next. It was. The next. And, and sounds like you really leaning into, you talked about how you were afraid of everything growing up. But. I mean, what's beautiful about your journey for me as as an inspirational thing is you grew up so afraid, but every time you were afraid, you leaned in. I still do that. And one of my solutions when I'm really scared is to go as fast as I can. Mm. So it, it just, uh, there's a whole system that I talk about that I'm not sure if it's out there if I Google it, but I call it analysis paralysis. Okay. So I just don't give my mind enough time to make up terrifying stories so someone will say, like on high falls and shows, if it's freaking me out, which it's hard not to because your whole body knows that this is not a good idea. Your brain knows it's not a good idea <laughs> and you're doing it, right? So you're yeah. like, okay. Uh. 
So what I just do is, let's say the ledge is where it is, and I, I know I got to jump down there. So I step off the ledge, and I walk into the building, and I'll pace in circles and try and think about other things and distract myself. And then, you know, they're, like, rolling. I'm like, okay, I'm coming out. And then I literally come out, and I'm like, I'm like please call action, like, right away. Like, like, I just have to get off this edge. And the scary it is, the faster I want to go. Crazy, but it helps. I'm telling, like it's, it's. I, I try and help my the up and coming ladies like understand this. And there was one, this one performer who I adore. She was at my house, and I have a high fall platform in my backyard. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, and it, yes, this goes somewhere else. But so we're standing up there, and I was explaining that theory to her. I'm like, so stand back here and look at the trees and look, you know, just look around and check your phone, check your text, check email, and then go to the end and go one, two, three, go. <laughs> and I'm like, that's the way to get off this platform. Because if you stand here, you'll come up with all kinds of ways yeah. that you're going to kill yourself. You know, she I ended up jumping ahead of her. And then I was just standing around waiting. And, and she ended up jumping. And she came up to me and literally, like, grabbed me. She was like, oh, my God, that works. I was going to not go. And then I said, Alicia told me to do this. And I did it. And I went. And I was like, I know it works. <laughs> I love this idea of analysis paralysis. It, it makes, it sparks in, in everything. me. everything. Yeah, that's what I mean. It, it immediately sparks in me this feeling of like, life. You should do that in life You sometimes. should do that like, in life. I do it in everything. Yeah, that sometimes in life we get paralyzed by our fears because we keep, we focus on the stories we tell ourselves surrounding the fears and why these fears are happening or whether, right. instead of sometimes just going, but you got to, you got to do it. You got to do it. You got to do that anyway. dive. It's going to happen anyway. It's really great. Over the span of, uh, it's been 20 years, right, in this career? Yes, shockingly. (laughs) Over the span of a 20-year career in such a physical profession, because I know you've had some accidents over your career. Absolutely. Um, So how does aging affect your future goals, and how do you navigate this? I know you've transitioned a huge amount into stunt coordination now, of course, but what does does that affect? How does it affect you? Uh, The injuries? Yeah, the injuries. And, yeah. Well, I have a... (laughs) I limp every morning to the bathroom. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I would say it affects everyone. We have a women's stunt committee to discuss oh, a lot cool. of, because life is a lot harder for female stunt performers and coordinators, yeah. hands down. So we talk and support each other. I mean, there's nothing you can do to undo metal plates in your arms, legs, a concussion. Mm-hmm. You just have to be good to yourself. And I think you just have to do a lot of yoga, because I do feel like that keeps you st- strong and flexible. And I just think you kind of can't stop. The minute you stop and sit, it's almost like I feel like my muscles are holding all my precarious ligaments in place. So if mm-hmm. I let that go, I feel like everything's going to fall <laughs> out of place and we all misalign. So I just try and, you know, even if it's not a ton, because you know the schedules of film. You find yeah. yourself on set for 16 hours and you haven't slept in, a, you know, half a year. Yeah. So I just try and make sure as best I can, you know, I my my iPad yoga studio app. I pull that out at lunch and I'll do a little bit of that, some push-ups and some, you know, I do what I can. Self-care. Yeah, you have to do self-care. And, and what about mental self-care as you've been in this industry so long doing all these crazy things? Mental self-care. I'm not yeah. sure. Like, well, what is there would... any tools that you have for like how, how so you've talked about the, the um, analysis paralysis and how you confront that. Is there, like, do you ever, do you ever stop and do you ever think about, oh my God, what do I... I've done all of this physical stuff all my life. And what mm-hmm. what that's done to you mentally to be able to open your your mental capacity for fear in that way? Um, no. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. I, I don't no. think so. I think I'm totally I think I was always I like I did definitely had up early on in life when I was maybe not quite as level headed, but I, I think I'm um 
chronically pragmatic, mm. which helps. I don't expect more than I'm going to get. And I think I can look pretty level-headedly on things I've done. And yeah, that wasn't a great idea. That didn't work out. That did. Don't do the bad thing again. Try it this way next time. I, I, I can't. I think when it's done, you, you, I don't think you, I think I know where you're getting at. I don't mm. think you suffer traumatic emotional experience from a stunt like you would with a bad life experience. Mm. It's different. Because there's a control? For sure. Yeah. It's an executable planned item. Yeah. Whereas when it's someone else acting upon you, I know all the girls I deal with, their bad experience with who, and there are, of course, in every, like, not to say, oh, stunts are so bad, because it's not. We're just everybody. Yeah. And we all experience these moments where another performer I know uh, was sexually harassed by one of her um, boxing instructors, mm. right? And so that, she has been, like, hit by cars. But if you ask her what the most traumatic thing is, it was that. Mm -hmm. So that's, I think, stunts, we just know what we're doing. We've been planning for it. It's the peripheral that is damaging. Mm-hmm. And you t touch on that in your essay, this uh, misogyny that you unfortunately met early in your career. And then you talked about it a bit at the end uh, about some of the women still dealing with that kind of stuff. I guess you just spoke to it there saying that that's, you can handle the stunts. You can't necessarily handle being disrespected in certain ways. Do you think the industry has changed, though? Because I know, uh, as you talk about, too, there's so many wonderful male stunt coordinators and performers out there that it, it's, as you say, it's it's kind of in every industry. I guess my question is, what do you hope to see for the future of female stunt coordinators, specifically combating stuff that you've dealt with in the past or stuff that you still think is happening? And how do you see your place as a mentor in being able to, uh, you know, focus the change in a way that uh, is positive for all? I think that what I try and do with our women's group often is say, if I were to reverse 10 years, this is what I would do. Uh, and maybe that's just acquiring different tech, uh, skills and techniques that that I realize now are way more useful than I thought they were as a performer. Mm. So I try and share my current view of my career to them so they can properly prepare for what's coming. I think this question was like threefold. So I'm I trying know. to remember <laughs> what element I'm addressing. Let me let me rephrase and make it a little uh, personal in this sense of I've had the privilege of working with you a few times. And I got to say, it's really not that I don't love so many of our male stunt coordinators Agreed. out there, but it was so refreshing to have a woman stunt coordinator speaking to me. There was something in your approach that was direct yet accessible that I thought was really cool. And I want to reflect on the extreme professionalism that I found in you and this calm when faced with obstacles and personality differences. So is that the kind of quality, finding that calm, finding the way to deal with some difficult personalities that may come up? Are those the qualities that you speak of that you would share with people that you wish you had done 10 years ago or that you've learned over the last mm -hmm. 10 years? Okay, so no, that isn't what I'm speaking to. But I, what I do find, having said that, is a lot of the females that I deal with do embody that. And I think we all look at the day on set after doing as many stuff. Like for, okay, let me start over a bit. After doing as many stunts as I've done as a stunt coordinator, when the day ramps up and everyone gets frazzled and panicky, I always remember that we're not carrying cancer here today. <laughs> we're just shooting a TV show. And if anyone gets hurt, none of this was worth it. And it's not worth rushing it and risking that. So as they're screaming, I usually try and breathe and mm. talk 
and then, you know, tell the first AD that he's going to have to just (laughs) back off and give us one rehearsal because she, he hasn't done this yet and you didn't give us time. And and that's just how it's going to be. And it's really, um, I think it's about not being afraid of the system. Mm. Some newer people get into film and they think, oh, my God, we're making a movie it's worth dying for or something, which I disagree with entirely. So I think once you've been there enough, you know that it's just a system that happens over and over. Like every movie, every TV show is the same thing. So why? Let's not freak out every time. Let's not, let's actually not freak out every time. Mm-hmm. Find the breath. Do you meditate? No, I've tried. I, I have trouble sticking <laughs> like, with I it. I can't. I can't do it. I can't focus on meditating. I tried. <laughs> no, it just made me think of it because you're saying you're the, so the, like, right. I think I, I do yoga, breath. so it's a bit similar. I think you kind of you do a in your bit. own way. It sounds like it's an extraordinary profession that you're in, and I must say that I really admire your fearlessness and. That idea of analysis paralysis, I'm definitely going to take into my life. You should. (laughs) And I hope our listeners do too. Thank you so much for coming in today and speaking with us. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Alicia Turner has spent over two decades in the business and has amassed an impressive resume. As a stunt performer and now stunt coordinator, she has worked on such series as The Strain, Killjoys, Eyewitness, Frankie Drake Mysteries, and the upcoming Madam C.J. Walker, Ginny and Georgia, and Zahara, The Return. Feature credits include Suicide Squad, Mother, The Shape of Water, Fahrenheit 451, and the upcoming Falling. Thank you again to Alicia for joining us today at Deluxe Toronto. Be sure to check out future episodes of Women on Screen Out Loud wherever you get your podcasts. And check out upcoming events and initiatives from Women on Screen at womenonscreen.ca. Until next time, I'm Lara Jean Korostecki. And I'm Jennifer Pogue. And we are Women Women on Screen. Women on Screen Out Loud was recorded at Deluxe Toronto. This podcast was created and produced by Lara Jean Korostecki and Jennifer Pogue, executive produced by Lauren McKinley, Farah Morani, and Kira Murphy, with original music by Erica Percunier. Thank you to Deluxe Toronto for hosting us and for continuing to support women on screen.